0: We're playing the Giants at home in the playoffs. This will end well. Blue 58! Hi, this is John Meerdink, and welcome to Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. Joining me for this fabulous recording session is none other than friend of the program, Gary Zillevi. How are you doing, Gary? It's a great day to be great, John. It is indeed a great day to be great. And it's a great day for some headlines, which is where we will begin this episode of Blue 58, as we always do. The big headline, other than the Packers' playoff game against the New York Giants coming up this weekend, is from the front office. Uh, Both Elliot Wolf and Brian Gutekunst are interviewing for the 49ers' general manager position. The story has been growing for some time now that Elliot Wolf is a, I guess, person of interest for NFL teams all throughout the league, looking to fill the uh, front office role. Uh, he's been a rising star, I guess, in the Packers front office for some time. And now the 49ers have come calling. Uh, Gary, I want to get your take off this right off the bat. What do you think the odds that Elliot Wolf leaves are?
1: I think they're pretty low, but it is interesting to note that this is the fifth team that's been connected to elliot wolf you've got before the 49ers the philadelphia eagles the detroit lions the cleveland browns the tennessee titans are the other four teams and the 49ers are historically the i guess you you'd pick them out of the other five uh you know roster notwithstanding i think they they have the, the most prestigious opportunity so um, I don't think he leaves, but this is certainly the closest call so far, in my opinion.
0: I think so, too, and I wonder if things are complicated at all by the situation last year. And to give a little bit of background, uh, Elliot Wolf has been asked a couple times in recent years if he would interview for general manager positions, and one specifically that comes to mind is, is the Detroit Lions last year. Supposedly, he was the first name on their list. They wanted him above anybody else. And Ted Thompson actually denied Wolf uh, permission to interview for that job. As is his right, they can do that uh, because the Packers were in season at the time. They had the opportunity to not allow Wolf to interview, and they, they took that opportunity. Uh, but there were some reports that maybe that rubbed Wolf the wrong way or that he would have at least appreciated the opportunity to, to turn the job down. Do you think that's at play at all here? Do you think Wolf might be looking to to stick it to the Packers at all?
1: Boy, any any guess I'd have would just be speculation. I I, I don't know Elliot Wolf's personality enough to really give a a good read on that. Um, and I think if you do, uh, I, I would I would hope he wouldn't. Uh, but but I don't think so.
0: Well, that's something that I wanted to talk a little bit about uh was we just don't know much about either of these guys uh Elliot Wolf and Gudakunst Wolf obviously is a little bit higher profile than his his compatriot there just because of who his dad is Ron Wolf but I wrote a piece for Acme Packing Company this week about how we really don't know that much about Elliot Wolf all we see is a couple times a year he pops up in rumors like this he typically comes out and talks about some players during the draft and it's always the same sort of thing they always just happened to have gotten their guy, the person they targeted. It's funny how that works out for like 200-some picks in a row. Every team gets their guy. Uh, But Wolf is one of the guys who will come out and talk about that. Other than that, there's not a whole lot that you can know about the front office unless you're one of these people who's behind the scenes and and scrounging up rumors about the NFL. I don't know what there really is to know about either Wolf or Gutekunst, but it... uh, it's it's interesting to see this play out. Now, saying one or both of them leaves, do you think it's a big loss for the Packers, or are they replaceable?
1: Well, I would think that we've reached the point where so many individuals, John Dorsey in Kansas City, Reggie McKenzie in Oakland, John Snyder in Seattle, that we might be getting pretty close to, to the tipping point here of, of a brain drain in Green Bay. I know that was a popular theory when the Packers were struggling last year that part of their uh, downfall had been that just so many individuals had had left the front office and, and it just wasn't what it used to be. Um, I think we're probably at that point where if one of these two guys leaves, uh, you' you really got to hope Thompson st- uh, sticks around.
0: I always hope Ted Thompson sticks around because I'm a big fan of how he operates but uh, I think I think the brain drain fear, has some merit, but I think there's a chance that you can easily take it a little bit too far. Do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a similar thing going around about the Milwaukee Brewers, how they had, one, kind of drained the farm system, and then, two, not really replaced any any personnel executives? I know this is a shot in the dark, but do you remember when that, that story was uh, going around?
1: I do. It was it was Jack Zuridzik, who I think was the 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 number two in command behind Doug Melvin, who left for Seattle, and if I remember right, he took a bunch of scouts with him, and and Melvin didn't wasn't quick to to rehire those positions.
0: Right, and it pushed the the Brewers down for a couple of years, or that at least was the the thrust of the piece. But now look where the Milwaukee Brewers are; they're they're one of the the up and coming teams in all of baseball. My point in all this is not to to conflate the two, but things like this can be bad when they happen, but they can also be turned around pretty quickly. So even if Wolf or Gutekunst or both were to leave for position somewhere else in the league, it may be a setback in the short term, especially if it happens close to the draft. But I think it's the sort of thing that can be reversed. <laughs> Moving on to our second headline, I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Ripkowski. The headline is Aaron Ripkowski has a John Kuhn look to him from Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, Ripkowski played a much bigger role uh, this weekend than I think anybody would have predicted going into the game with Detroit. What do you make of the young fullback?
1: Well, I did find it interesting that he was on the field. During the first half, for 18 straight snaps, which is one more snap than Ripkowski had played in all of his rookie year. Uh, so the the training wheels are off Ripkowski here. Uh, I thought he was tremendous, and um, maybe the bigger story though is where was Ty Montgomery?
0: Well, what looked to happen from my perspective is that he really struggled early on in pass protection and if you watched it all the way the lions were playing they were they were bringing the heat they were throwing everything that they could at aaron Rodgers and uh and montgomery just missed a couple times he missed badly rubkowski a much bigger guy and much more sound as a blocker so i think mccarthy was much more comfortable leaving him in the game and allowing him to take those responsibilities than he was with montgomery the funny thing is, it didn't really work out that he was just in there to block. They made him a big part of the offense, and he rushed for probably more yards in a single game than he has, I don't know, probably dating back to high school. I don't know what kind of player Aaron Rubkowski was uh, playing in high school, but I'm sure he hasn't carried the ball that often in at least half a decade. Uh, do you think this is a trend for the Packers going forward, or is this a one-off sort of thing?
1: it's probably a one-off sort of thing but it certainly does add a little bit of fear if you're the new york giants that you do have to game plan for another running back um it, you know as 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 meager as ripkowski uh may be to some you know dude had 60 yards last week he did you gotta watch out for him
0: he did and now for the john coon comparison i think that's i don't know um it depends, I guess. It's a good sort of litmus test. It depends what you think of John Kuhn to begin with. If you think John Kuhn was good for the Packers offense, then you're probably welcome the idea that, you know, Aaron Ripkowski could be a little bit like John Kuhn. If you think he was more of a gimmick player that Mike McCarthy liked a little bit too much for reasons that I don't really fully understand, then maybe Aaron Ripkowski being a little bit like John Kuhn isn't, isn't such a great thing. But one thing I think it is worth pointing out is how big a role that John Kuhn played in the offense at times during the Packers Super Bowl year. Um he had ended up with 281 rushing yards during the 2010 season and and was as close to a feature back as the Packers had uh, at least as far as running. And he stayed on the field for a lot of the reasons that Ripkowski was on the field. Uh he ran hard, he was assignment sure, and he caught the ball when they threw it to him. He didn't make mistakes, and I think not making mistakes is, is an underrated aspect of anybody's game.
1: I agree. I think a, a lot of Packer fans probably see a little bit of themselves when they see Old Ripper take the ball. Uh, so I, I I'm excited to see how he, he how he does against the Giants.
0: All right, moving on to the Giants. One f- headline, one final headline related to the New York Giants: the Giants wide receivers went to Miami after their Week 17 win over the Washington Redskins with the intention of partying with Justin Bieber. Gary, do you want to take this one away?
1: The Giants' uh, wide receivers after the Redskins game, uh, they all flew down to Miami, and uh, they did a little boat tour, uh, some some Twitter pictures, uh, tweets, and Snapchats and, and Instagram posts that were swiftly deleted uh, after this kind of blew up a little bit, had them uh, on a boat. And when they went out clubbing uh, at night, the celebrities they were spotted with included Lil Wayne, uh, 2 Chains, Jamie Foxx, Tristan Thompson of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Khloe Kardashian, Adrian Brody, and wouldn't you know it, it only took until episode 11 for... Blue Fifty Eight to have a Johnny Manziel reference. Well,
0: look at that, uh, Johnny Manziel. Glad to see he's staying well.
1: <laughs> exactly where you would expect Johnny Manziel to be. Uh, what I found most surprising with this, though, John, is is Ben McAdoo, the head coach of the New York Giants, uh, at least externally, didn't seem to make a big deal out of this. Uh, John, is this an is this going to be something? That uh is going to come in the way of, of the Giants playing well against the Packers?
0: Uh I don't think so. Not at all. Um I just uh, these are professional athletes. This is the sort of thing that they do all the time. And um you know, I just have a hard time believing that something that happened it'll be a week almost since the since their boat tour and boat trips that they play the Packers. So I don't think it's gonna be an issue unless Eli Manning has an issue with it. And boy, did he have some issues with his wide receivers. Buckle in for these words, Gary. Uh, Manning said he was a little disappointed uh, in the receiving crew. Here's a quote from the New York Times. I think as a team, we always pride ourselves in being well-prepared. So when I saw some of those pictures, I was a little disappointed just because they obviously didn't pack accordingly. They didn't have any shirts, obviously, all long pants, no shorts or flip-flops or anything. So I'm disappointed in the packing and not being prepared for that situation. I mean, those are some harsh words from Eli Manning.
1: Wow. Uh, is it is it too early to say the Giants may be cutting Odell Beckham before the game on I, Sunday?
0: I think the Packers have to be prepared for that possibility and looking for what the Giants will be doing to scheme their offense without odell beckham jr in the lineup we will talk a little bit more about odell beckham jr eli manning and the whole new york giants crew in just a couple minutes but first i want to make you aware of some things going on behind the scenes at uh, thepowersweep.com and not so much behind the scenes but something you can be involved with in. and that day is making sure that you are on top of everything going on on the site an easy way to do that is signing up for our email list Just go to thepowersweep.com, fill out the handy dandy little form that'll pop up when you direct your web browser to that site. All we need is your name and your email address, and you will get a handy post the morning after any post goes up on thepowersweep.com. Takes just a couple seconds. It'll help you stay. Uh, in touch with everything that we are doing trying to bring you the best and brightest from the world of the Green Bay Packers helping us all become better and smarter fans of the Green Bay Packers so check that out when you can go to thepowersweep.com sign up for the email list Uh, it's real easy it'll take you just 5 seconds All right, let's talk about the New York Giants so here come the Giants third time in I guess almost exactly 10 years that the New York Giants will be playing the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in the playoffs. The last two times, well, they didn't go so well. Uh, in 2007, the 2007 season, so 2008, uh, the New York Giants ended Brett Favre's tenure in Green Bay with a 23-20 to overtime win. And then in 2011, they managed to the derail the 15-1 Green Bay Packers in the divisional round of the playoffs. So the first things first, Gary, is there a curse uh, for the Packers involving the New York Giants?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think that the New York Giants are uh, certainly a challenging opponent, but the difference between those two teams and this team is Tom Coughlin is not on the sidelines for the Giants and I think that makes a big difference.
0: I think that makes an enormous difference and it's one that's a, that's a little bit that has gone I guess a little bit underreported because everyone is so quick to point out, oh, the these are two teams that have played in the playoffs before. Uh, there must be some sort of history there. But hey, they also played in the playoffs in 1961 and the Packers beat the Giants 37 to nothing probably was a a pretty good feeling for Vince Lombardi when that happened, but I would say this game has just as much, or that game has much as, has just as much bearing on this game as the one in 2007 and the one in 2011. I'm not worried about those two teams coming back to haunt this one. What I am worried about is a Newark Giants team that is, one, very good, and two, very different from when the Packers played them earlier this season. Gary, this is this is a familiar opponent, and and if you had to pick one thing about the the Giants that caught your eye, where would you start? Where do you start attacking this Giants team, or or start thinking about them if you're a fan?
1: Well, I think that one of the interesting things that I learned this week is how unreliable the New York Giants' wide receiving core can be at times. I think we make a lot about a lot of 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 heaping praise on Odell Beckham certainly deserves it the dude is dressed to the nines and backs his play up um on the field however the giants have the second most dropped passes uh 43 total uh, in the nfl this year beckham leading the way with 10 victor cruz with eight uh sterling Shepard, the talented rookie has four uh, tight end Larry Donnell with three and Paul Perkins, the running back who has, has kind of seen a little bit of an increase in play and uh, down the stretch with two. I I think the giants, I did not expect to see the giants as high on that list as they ended up being. And I, that that's something that can quickly destroy some momentum. A couple of, of ill time drops.
0: I completely agree. And consistency, a word you mentioned there in relation to Odell Beckham Jr. I think is is an interesting thing. He grabs a lot of headlines uh, for the way he plays and and I guess who he is as a football player in general. Um, he, he grabs a lot of, uh, of headlines. He makes a lot of highlight reel plays. And he certainly, at his best, can be a very good receiver. But I think that people may – they may – Remember the highs and and forget about the lows or or forget about the times when Odell Beckham can just disappear for as much publicity as he gets, there shouldn't be five games this year where he has forty nine or fewer receiving yards. Uh, it It's just a guy as talented as he is, and a guy who who is supposedly as impressive as a receiver as he is, just shouldn't disappear that often. Um, Even at his best, too, he's just racking up a a lot of numbers that that may not matter a whole lot. Uh, For instance, Odell Beckham has only four games this year in which he had 100 or more receiving yards, and the Giants lost three of those four games. Uh, He went for 100 against Pittsburgh, and they lost 24 to 14. Uh, he went for 121 against Washington, one of the two times they played this year, and New York lost that one, 29-27. He went for 150 against Philadelphia, and the Giants came up short, 24-19. to 19. The only game where he had more than 100 yards and the Giants won was when he had 222 against Baltimore. To me, those don't seem like the kind of numbers that um, indicate that a receiver is having a, a, an enormous positive impact on the game for his team.
1: I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you, John, but I do think that often the receiving stats can be a bit misleading. I, I think Beckham has made some very clutch catches, and he seems to be one of those guys where on third down and in the red zone, uh, and when you're looking for the big play, he seems to provide it. I think it's it's a good reminder that Beckham isn't necessarily the Calvin Johnson esque Julio Jones esque game taker over uh as, as those players, but certainly can be counted on um, to, to to make a big play when it's needed.
0: He does make a lot of big plays, and it's interesting that you you bring up that comparison. Uh you and I talked about analogs, um for certain players a while back. And do you remember who you said on the Packers was an analog, uh, for Odell Beckham jr.
1: Randall Cobb,
0: Randall Cobb. And I laughed or I was like, I scoffed actually when, when you said that at first, but actually, uh, they're, they're fairly similar. They've got similar height and weight sort of profile. They run within a 10th of a second, a few hundredths of a second of each other in the 40 yard dash. But Randall Cobb isn't viewed as even remotely the same kind of a player as Odell Beckham Jr. And he's not. I think they play a little bit different. But really, physically, you think about game-breaking receivers, and you do think of someone who's like, um, well, I, I think about him because he was up for a Hall, the Hall of Fame finalist position uh, today, but Terrell, or yeah, Terrell Owens or Randy Moss or Calvin Johnson, just this big physical specimen type. And Odell Beckham is not that kind of guy. He, he's short. He's wiry. Uh, he can he can jump like a gazelle, uh, and he makes plays that way. Now, that said, I am a little bit afraid of him because of how the Packers secondary has been banged up over the last couple weeks. Where do you think – or or do you think that uh, that Beckham has a big day against the, uh, the Packers secondary?
1: I think Eli's going to give him every opportunity that he can to have a big game uh he was targeted twelve times against the Packers in their previous matchup this year. And this is Beckham's first postseason appearance. So much like uh the Packers do like to be that first opponent that gives you that big break, uh I think he could be in line for a big game. Uh but hey, maybe Herb Waters will stop him, right?
0: Well, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because it's also going to be not just the first playoff game, but the first game ever on the fifty-three man roster. For Herb Waters, you may remember Herb as a wide receiver from the preseason, and he is not actually coming to the Packers' active roster as, as a wide receiver. He's being promoted as a cornerback. The Packers made the switch, moving him from wide receiver to cornerback after the preseason, figuring he sort of fits that body type at about 5'11.5 and 190-some pounds. He he does have that body type, but do you think it's, it's too little too late to get any sort of meaningful contribution out of Herb Waters?
1: Well, I have two thoughts for you, John. The first being, I seem to remember another undrafted Miami wide receiver turned cornerback being a pretty pivotal part of a Packers Super Bowl team, that being Sam Shields. And second, if Herb Waters does... First of all, make the active roster and, and play in the game and have any kind of success. This only elevates the profile of Packers cornerbacks coach Joe Witt Jr., who I know you and I are both fans of.
0: Big fan of Joe Witt. I think he does a fantastic job uh, with the cornerbacks. And it's been a little bit of a head-scratcher to see how a guy like uh, Quentin Rollins has plateaued, I think if we say it kindly, this year. Um, I thought uh, Joe Witt would be able to do a little bit more with him, and sometimes it makes me wonder. Maybe this is Quentin Rollins playing with Joe Witt's help, and he just isn't any good. So maybe this is the better version of Quentin Rollins. Think how bad he would be without, without Joe Witt Jr. But that notwithstanding, i I want, I want Herb Waters to be the same as Sam Shields. But I don't think it's exactly the same situation. Shields did play some cornerback in college. He didn't just switch um, midstream after joining the Packers in the NFL. He did have some time to refine his game a little bit in college. Waters hasn't had that chance. He hasn't had the the opportunity to go against guys who are still figuring out football as he's figuring out a new position. Um, he's had to, to make his money every single week Uh, as he transitions to cornerback now that could actually be a positive in his favor because if the Packers were willing to keep him around and not cut him when they've made moves on the practice squad or had to free up a spot someplace I think that only says good things about what he's done as a cornerback so far but I wouldn't be looking for him to make any any big plays this Sunday as the Packers take on the Giants Somebody though is going to have to to step up in the secondary. Uh do you have any any sort of read on, on who that would be for the Packers or 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 a guess or a wish or a hope?
1: Well, uh I, I think it might be Micah Hyde. Uh guy's playing for a contract. He's in his, his final year of his rookie deal. Micah Hyde was elected one of the six Packers captains as a special teams captain uh that was just announced. And I think Hyde has a little something in the tank. Um, I, I, Micah Hyde in the playoffs, I always think of, of that final uh, almost interception against the San Francisco 49ers in the uh, wild card round uh, where Colin Kaepernick threw a ball, and if Micah Hyde was a half-inch taller, uh, the Packers would have won that game. Uh, I think if Micah Hyde was a half-inch taller, the Packers would have also won about five other games. But uh, I'm going to say Micah Hyde. I got a feeling about it.
0: I think Micah Hyde is the guy that you do have to look at just because of how many different positions he can help with. He's going to give the Packers depth, uh, not just at safety where he plays typically, but also as a slot corner and maybe even as a boundary corner if things really go south. Um, If I had to pick someone that I would like to step up, I would hope that Demarius Randall finds it within himself to, to put together a complete game. Um, we've seen him flash. Uh, the interception he made against the Seahawks, kind of swooping across the middle on that deep pass to Doug Baldwin and just picking the ball out of nowhere, was as good a play as I've seen him ever make. He just plays the, the deep ball so well. But then again, in the same game, you'll see him kind of not give it a full effort on a tackle in run support or just be late getting into position uh, defending a pass and I just wish that he would put together a full game as we go into the playoffs now we've talked quite a bit about the Giants offense taking on the Packers defense what about switching things around what do you like what do you not like as the Packers take on the Giants defense
1: well what I don't like is Dominic Rogers Cromartie if you're a Giants fan you have to be pretty excited about the guy So there's a stat that uh, I learned about this week called uh, ball hawk. It includes interceptions, plus passes defended, plus sacks, plus forced fumbles. So essentially, uh, whatever Charles Woodson did, they just added it all up into one stat, and they call it ball hawk. And Dominic Rogers cromartie leads the NFL in ball hawk stats this year. Uh, He's got a total of 29 of all of those Items And, John, you had, you had said that the highest packer was HaHa ha Clinton Dix with 13.5. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct. 13.5 for HaHa ha Clinton Dix. Now, I think you can take Dominique Rogers Cromartie's number there in that ball hawk stat with a grain of salt uh, in that a lot of those 29 points, I guess you would call it, those 29 data points there, uh come from passes defensed. So he has defended twenty one passes this year. That's that's by far more than anyone on the Packers. That just means he's he's gotten a handle on a lot of passes that have come his way. Now that's good because that means he's breaking up a lot of passes that are coming his way. But it also means a lot of passes are coming his way. I think I mean if he doesn't get his hand on on the ball, is it a completion? It it's hard to it's always a dilemma with cornerback sort of stats it's like are you not getting interceptions because you're bad at catching the ball or because the quarterback isn't throwing your way are you getting a lot of interceptions uh, because you're such a a great cornerback or are you getting a lot of interceptions because you're terrible and your your guy always looks open so the quarterback throws to your neighborhood i think there's there's a little bit of cutting both ways uh there with with the giants but their secondary as a whole and I think Rodgers Cromartie, as a part of that, is actually fairly good, and they've been playing a lot better now than they did the first time the Packers played them. What do you think about the rest of the secondary?
1: Well, the rest of the secondary is pretty talented. Uh, I think they'll have an undrafted rookie free agent starting at safety. Uh, that That's a, obviously an opportunity for, for the Packers to have some success. Uh, but But just looking at their Giants defense on a whole, I have to wonder... What Mike McCarthy and Tom Clements and Edgar Bennett are going to do in regards to the Packers running game, uh, Snacks Harrison, the big nose tackle, uh, certainly doesn't allow a lot of interior runs, which seems to bode well for Ty Montgomery's prospects against the Giants.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree. when it comes to the the Giants defensive front, what scares me most is the pass rush. Um, the book on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers for a long time has been pretty simple. You cover solid, uh, and then you rush the passer like crazy with your front four. You can't do it by bringing pressure because he's so mobile and so good at finding those windows that you leave open when you bring pressure uh, that you have to be able to do it with just your defensive line. The Giants have shown at times this season that they are able to do that. However, one thing could prevent them from being at full strength against the Packers this weekend, and that's the fact that Jason Pierre-Paul is battling a little bit of an injury. He didn't practice today; today being Wednesday, as a result of a, a core injury, and that throws his status for Sunday into a little bit of doubt. Um, if the the Giants aren't at full strength, if he's not out there, um, that's I think that that's only a good thing for the Packers. So, when the rubber meets the road, Gary, what's your prediction? Sunday at Lambeau Packers Giants uh do they they stop the slide against the Giants in the playoffs
1: I think they do and uh, I got two reasons why first of all the number 245 that's how many passes Aaron Rodgers has thrown between his last interception and right now he's in the midst of the longest stretch of his career between interceptions I I have to think his hot streak continues against uh, New York, as talented as their secondary is, it it feels like he's going to to have another good game. Um, although on the flip side, you take a look at the Giants, and the number to remember here is uh, five, and that's the number of games consecutively that they've had at least one interception. So something's got to give between the two of those. And as I alluded to early, I I, I think it's got to be the Giants secondary. I I We'll be a homer and, and stick with the Packers. I'll pick I'll take Green Bay thirty-one to twenty-eight.
0: All right. I am also going to stick with the Packers and, and like you, I have a key number. And my number also is five. And five for me stands for the five offensive linemen that will be starting for the Packers on Sunday. The Packers' offensive line has been phenomenal start to finish this year, top to bottom, whether it's Corey Lindsley at center or JC Treder. Uh, when it's Jason Spriggs coming in uh, in relief for Don Barclay or, or whoever just stepping in, everyone has played absolutely phenomenally well. The Packers didn't have this kind of offensive line uh, when they lost or last lost to the Giants in the playoffs. In fact, in a bizarre twist of fate, the guy who started at left tackle for the 2011 Packers, Marshall Newhouse, figures to be starting for the New York Giants at right tackle on Sunday. I think that bodes well for the Packers on defense and the transformation for the Packers on offense on their offensive line uh, puts them in a position where I think they're going to avoid uh, the Giants pass rush their pressure and I think that's going to help them avoid falling into the sort of situation where they might make a mistake and, and throw in an interception and give a Gi- give the Giants a turnover. I'm picking the Packers. I think they win, let's say, 28 to 24. I like them by four. So if the line ends up at 3.5, I'm picking them to cover um, if you are someone who turns to podcasts for your gambling advice. And if you're turning to podcasts like Blue58 for your gambling advice, I think we're going to have to leave the number for Gamblers Anonymous in the show notes for this one. Uh, I don't. Gary, have you ever laid down a bet on anything? Um.
1: Uh, no, I have not.
0: I have not either. It seems like something that that you should do once and then never do again. I had a friend who went to Vegas once and and put down a. This was the the first year that Giannis had had a Kumpo with the Buck was with the Bucks, and he laid down a bet that the the Bucks would improve on their previous season's win total by like five or something, and they did it on the final day of the season. But I think that's the only kind of bet that I would ever feel comfortable making. I guess really going on on a limb there, right? Yeah. uh, Well, back in those days, it was a huge deal to say the the Bucks would win five more games one season than the next. But I I guess I should correct myself because there is one bet that I would make. And Gary, you dug up an interesting stat here. I would I would put down on money or put money down that Aaron Rodgers will never have a worse touchdown to interception ratio than Eli Manning. Why is that, Gary?
1: Uh, Well, if there's one weakness to Eli Manning's game, it's that he tosses a lot of interceptions. And just to put in that number to perspective, Aaron Rodgers' career touchdown to interception ratio is 4-1. to So for every four touchdowns he throws, he throws one interception on average. If Eli Manning wanted to have a career touchdown to interception ratio near Rodgers he would have to throw 500 touchdowns with zero interceptions. That's as many as his brother threw in his entire career. So uh, I don't think that's happening anytime soon, but it does speak to just how accurate Rodgers is and how unwilling he is to throw a ball in a position where it would get intercepted.
0: Oh, that is just phenomenal. It made me smile just hearing that stat. So Gary, if, if we want to be more accurate than Eli Manning, Uh, make fewer mistakes than Eli Manning how would people go about finding us if they wanted to make sure they got to us on the first try and didn't have their (laughs) attempt to reach the power sweep intercepted
1: we'll make sure that uh, you reach the power sweep and not our vacuum uh, friends at powersweep.com you can browse our website at www.thepowersweep.com you can also visit us on Facebook and Twitter if you're so inclined You can search at The Power Sweep. And if you'd like to send us a good old-fashioned electronic mail, address your message to ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Any feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and The Power Sweep better and helps make all of us Smarter Packer fans.
0: And Smarter Packer fans is exactly what we want to be because Smarter Fans are better fans and hopefully we can help you become a better fan every time you read the power sweep or listen to blue 58 for gary zellaby i'm john Meerdink, go packers on sunday and we will see you next week and
1: find i'm king of the hill top of the hill